0: You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona homeowners, and join me in the landscape and garden. It is the fourth Saturday of the month, so we are urban farming with Mr. Greg Peterson. Yay! First time he's actually walked in and... Said something, and I'm like, we got to make that the word of the hour. It's it's fantastic is too good to not share with the listening audience. Love it. Text questions during the broadcast to four one one nine two three. 923 Or if you want to email a picture, or you need help with some plant or insect identification, take out your phone, snap a picture, and email it to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Today, fantastic! Oh yes, is all too. about uh, deciduous trees
1: today. Yeah, we're talking about uh, deciduous fruit trees today, and there's a particular way we look at them uh, in urban areas. It's called urban orcharding, and er- so. We don't.
0: I need to start a thesaurus page for when Greg comes in. (laughs) Add (laughs) on to that every time you're in farmtastic, urban orcharding, permaculture. Here's here's Greg's page you need to have ready for when he comes in on Saturdays.
1: Nice, (laughs) nice. Well, they're all easy terms. So, (laughs) so urban orcharding is a a way of growing fruit trees in the city. So we don't have. Generally, we don't have acres and acres where we can grow a peach tree that's thirty feet tall and be able to harvest it and. You know, normally we have a small yard, right? And so what we do is we have a particular way called urban orcharding that we manage our fruit trees, and that's to keep them small. The perfect size fruit tree is eight to ten feet tall because you can walk up to an eight foot tall peach tree or an eight foot tall apple tree and you can harvest it from on the ground. And Put a net over it. In fact, I tell people never put bird netting over your fruit trees. It just kills the birds and it tangles with the tree. You want to use something called Tulle, T-U-L-L-E. You buy it at the fabric store. Okay. So for netting, you use that. Uh, And keeping the trees small, they're much easier to manage. They're easier to prune. They're easier to harvest. They're easier to net. Uh, But there's also another key piece to this, and that is, something called successive ripening. Successive ripening is planting fruit trees so you kind of they kind of roll along for you. So my favorite three peach trees are Desert Gold peach, it ripens the beginning to mid May, the Tropic Snow peach, it ripens the beginning of June, and the Mid Pride peach, it ripens at toward the end of June. And so what I tell people is in the same space of a standard size peach tree, I can put three or four varieties. So a 25-foot tall peach tree is going to give us three, 400 pounds of peaches all in a two-week period. Right. You're laughing. Exactly.
0: <laughs> what are, What is any homeowner going to do with that many peaches? I know people have uh, perished from drinking too much water. I don't know that we've ever had anyone perish from eating too much peaches. But I think if you tried to do 200 pounds in a two week time, you yeah. just might. Yeah.
1: So that you know that's problematic. So what we encourage people to do is keep your tree small, an eight foot tall tree, still going to produce 50 pounds of fruit, which for a family or two and to share with your friends, that's an amazing amount of fruit. Then what we do in this successive ripening is, you know, the desert gold peaches come in and you get. 30 or 40 or 50 pounds and then the tropic snow peaches come in two to three weeks later and you get 30 or 40 or 50 pounds and then the mid-pride peaches come in you know a couple weeks later and you get 30 or 40 or 50 pounds so basically what I've just done is I've spread my peach harvest over not a two to three week period but a
0: nine to 12 week period and just as you get tired of one variety you've got a new variety with a slightly different taste to change it up a little bit exactly Exactly. And are one of those better for canning over the other? Well,
1: I think what really makes a a peach or a stone fruit in this case, a stone fruit is anything with a pit in the middle of it. So peaches, apricots, plums. I think what makes them easier for canning is how how much of a free stone they are. That means how does how quickly does the pit pop out? So can you just cut it in half and will a pit pop out or do you have to dig for the pit? Uh, so, Desert Gold peaches are what we call a semi-cling, so the the seed kind of holds on. Although I've canned with them and they're amazing. It's my, it's actually my favorite peach. In fact, a little later on today, people can come down and visit us at our nursery. We're open today, and I have extra Desert Gold peaches available for people to pick up.
0: To the tree, the tree, the tree. Exactly. Trees. Now this is the pop-up nursery. Yes. Yeah, your. I got my Greg term right, the pop-up nursery. There you go.
1: Yeah, I run a pop-up nursery in January and February where we have all kinds of deciduous and citrus. Citrus will be next month, fruit trees available for people to pre-purchase or just come on down and get them wonderful where's the pop-up nursery where does it pop pop up it pops up at uh, near 7th street and highland the address is 4549 north 7th street that's just south of highland on 7th street and it's a friend of mine's warehouse and we take it over for a two-month period in january and february and it becomes an amazing nursery
0: now these are deciduous these are they lose their leaves in the winter that's what deciduous means and and trees that you could take to a high elevation Pretty much, these are fruit trees that you want to keep in the desert. To you would want to keep these below what three thousand? Yeah,
1: Black Canyon City probably. Okay. So Black Canyon City, maybe a little bit higher than Black Canyon City South. So down into Tucson and southern Arizona, and um, and we're going to talk in a little while. I got three three pieces of data that you have to know before you purchase a deciduous tree. Okay. Because if you don't know these, you can actually, here's the thing, you can actually go into a lot of nurseries, especially the big box stores, and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit, <laughs> which is bogus. That's totally bogus. And the, the the bummer is they know it.
0: The people at the local store might not, but the people doing the ordering and the distribution might know it a little bit better. Yeah, well, and here's the sad part. I've been into most of the local nurseries,
1: and they've slipped on that some too. Mm. So y- these are these are three pieces. We'll cover it in a
0: in a segment in a little while. These are three pieces that you absolutely have to know before you buy a deciduous fruit tree. But in this segment, we wanted to finish talking about keeping them small. And right, a lot of them you could hedge them, you can prune them different. There's all kinds of techniques to keep them manageable.
1: Exactly. In fact, one of my favorite, you mentioned it, one of my favorite things to do is plant them in a hedge. A hedgerow is, well, you know, you've seen oleanders in hedgerows. Why you can't you put citrus or apples in hedgerows? Uh, you can. And they do amazingly well. My front yard on two sides is a hedgerow of citrus. I have about 30 citrus trees across the front of my property and down the north side, giving me eight or 10 different varieties of Citrus fruit, in fact, you were munching on one a little while ago that I brought. I think you said your tummy's citrus happy.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to find a better rhyme, but I couldn't do it in a short time. (laughs) There you go. go. So uh,
1: hedgerows is a great way to do it. And I get this question often, how far apart do I plant my deciduous trees? So like in this case, apples. Five feet. So from trunk trunk to trunk, a a five foot apart from trunk to trunk will make an amazing hedge after about three to five years. And I have an apple hedge in my front yard that has eight apple trees in it, It makes apples every year, and it's just, it's wonderful. It's incredible.
0: Now, how are you managing the hedge growth? Because there's a lot of stone fruits, and I don't know the difference between which ones put on fruit on new growth versus Mm -hmm. old growth. And... You know, you've obviously got to keep the hedge. How do you know you're not trimming off the new growth that the fruit's going to come the, from? Exactly.
1: You yeah, have to be very careful about that. They, <laughs> uh, a lot of times the fruit comes on spur wood. So basically what we're doing with in urban orcharding and with hedging is we're keeping the trees the size and shape that we want them. So it takes a lot of work up front. So the first couple of years you're pruning a lot. But really the key is to keep it short. And if you're keeping it short, so anything over basically my trees, anything over about eight feet, nine feet, I cut off. And you can cut that off on deciduous trees and on citrus trees. You can cut that off any time of the year because anything growing over 10 feet on any of my deciduous trees, I'm going to cut it off anyways. I don't want the energy of the tree growing up that high. I want to keep it low. So. In the pruning process, I just make sure I don't pr- prune off all the spur wood that is below that eight feet, which is really simple to do
0: and the spur wood is the the
1: new growth, the new you know the the new branches where the you know where the buds come from where the Are they, do they somehow have a little fuzz on them yeah They're, when you look at an apricot tree or a peach tree or uh,
0: an apple tree it's it's real apparent. And is that the same for all stonewoods? Is they only produce on new growth or stone fruit? <laughs> yeah,
1: good question and I don't know the answer to that. I just know the ones that I keep here, um they are a lot of new growth. So that's where, you know, that's where a lot of the fruit comes from.
0: Yeah. And do you have to thin a lot? Or am I jumping ahead?
1: Oh my gosh. So, yeah, a little bit, but we can touch on that because people cringe. You know, I tell people to take at least 75% of the Flowers and fruit off. And it's like, no way! (laughs) But here's the thing. About 10 years ago, I had this peach tree in my front yard. It was a mid-pride peach. And we had a late February freeze. And I lost about 75% of the fruit. That was the best year for the biggest and most juiciest peaches I've ever had on a fruit tree it was amazing how that worked so that was my lesson I watched nature it knocked off most of the fruit for me and you know I had these almost softball sized peaches that when you bit into them you had to lean over otherwise they splashed down the front of your shirt and basically what's happening is you're taking a bunch of those small fruits off and the flowers off so that it can the tree can shoot the energy to the ones that are left over, and it really makes them nice.
0: How early do you have to get on that? By the time you start seeing the peach and the fruit form, are you too late? Not really. Okay. Um, and,
1: you know, I, pr- I thin all the way through, uh, you know, golf ball size. Okay. Because, uh, you know, when you have as many fruit trees as I do, you don't always get to it. So you do your best. The best thing to do, and I do this early on, is I just go shake the tree once when it starts setting fruit and let the ones kind of self-select off.
0: And there is another caveat. One, it's hard to prune when it's something new that you've planted. It's like a mm-hmm. little baby. Yeah. Well, second, the peach tree bloom is so gorgeous. Why would you want to go knock off half your color? Oh, there you go. (laughs) That's a hard thing to do, but like you said, if you're disciplined in that, you get the nice produce. Otherwise, you're eating little pea-sized peaches. Peaches, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) We do have a couple of texts that we will get to in a moment. We'll save that for the long segment on the back side of the news, because in this time we want to talk about three ways that you've identified uh, to kill your fruit tree. So it's yeah. more like this is the warning segment. Here's three things you don't do if you want successful fruit trees in the desert. Exactly. In fact, this past season, what I do is I
1: educate. That's really what my fruit tree program is about is giving classes and helping people be successful at growing fruit trees in the yard. Because my favorite thing to plant is a fruit tree. Because you plant it once, it'll make fruit for decades or even more than that. So three things, three main things that I've identified that people do to kill your fruit trees. Now, listen up out there. You all are going to be uh, listening to this list. And it's like, oh, I did that. Or, oh, I did that. I have solutions, So don't despair. So- Way number one to kill your fruit trees is plant them in a very hot microclimate with a lot of gravel or dirt around. That just basically what you do is you cook your tree that way. And I tell people go out in August and stand where you want to plant your fruit tree and tell me if you want to spend any time at all there. You know, you can, you might spend five or ten minutes out there. But basically what I see so often is that people plant them in these very warm microclimates and it just it, you cook the tree. They just suffer. They struggle along. They don't ever thrive. So that's number one. Don't plant in gravel or straight dirt. You need to do something to mitigate that. We'll talk about that in a minute. The second way is to plant in grass, planting in a lawn. Lawns, absolutely,
0: especially Bermuda, will outcompete your fruit tree. I think Bermuda outcompetes everything. Everything.
1: Exactly. So you have to mitigate. the cockroach
0: of the plant world. Right, right, exactly.
1: (laughs) So you have to mitigate for that. Again, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, And then the third way to kill your fruit trees, put them on drip irrigation. And really, this is the third way to kill most any tree. Because with drip irrigation, you get a gallon per hour three times a week. And it's all located in one small area around the tree. It's this is the reason that you when in the summertime during storms, you go, you know, you drive through the city and you see all these trees knocked down, is because they're on drip irrigation. The root systems aren't going deep. When we're planting our trees, we need to water deep so that the roots go deep. Drip irrigation doesn't do that. So the solution for all three of these is what I call my six-six rule. And the six-six rule It's a rule. This you want to do this to every single one of your fruit trees. And honestly, I tell people to do this to every single one of your trees. And that's put a six foot diameter basin with at least six inches of woody mulch around the tree. Now, go get your measuring tape out. Measure out six feet so that it's at least six feet and at least six inches. And what you're adding to that basin around the tree is lots and lots and lots of woody mulch. And you want to refresh that woody mulch multiple times a year, at least twice a year, I tell people to, you know, add another two or three or four inches of woody mulch at least twice a year. Here's what that woody mulch is doing. In your hot area, in your gravel area, it's adding an insulation layer for the roots. It's holding on to an absorbing water like a sponge and it's making incredible soil. And your job as an urban farmer is to make healthy soil for your plants. I had something really interesting happen recently and a friend of mine came by the house and I picked some of those pink car car navels, the ones I gave you earlier today. I gave her some pink car car navels and she took them home and texted me a few hours later and she said, Oh my gosh, what are these? I said, they're car car navels. She said, they can't be car navels. I've eaten them before. They don't taste like this. I said, they do taste like this coming out of my yard because I've spent the last
0: many years <laughs> creating lost count 10 years ago. <laughs> there you go.
1: I've spent the last many years creating absolutely incredible soil, healthy soil underneath my trees and when you have healthy soil in your gardens and underneath your fruit trees, it makes more nutrient-dense food that tastes better. This is how we get peaches that when you bite into them, they make your toes tingle and they splash all the way down the front of your shirt because the juices are that rich coming out of it. And that's creating really healthy soil around the base of your trees. And you start with my 6-6 rule. Now, remember I talked about urban orcharding earlier. One of the guidelines in urban urban orcharding is that we want to keep our trees small. That's a guideline. This is a rule. You do this to every single one of your trees and your trees, including the
0: non-fruit trees, are absolutely going to thrive. The 6-6 is the rule. Keeping it small is a guideline. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So what to
1: plant in the hole when you're planting a tree? This is the other really important piece. Remember I said that our job is to create healthy soil around our plants. So I've heard some nurseries and some nurserymen say that they want that you want to plant your trees in 100% native soil. Here's what I know to be true. Our 100% native soil has less than 1% organic matter in it. And it has virtually no life in it. So if you're planting in that, that is not healthy soil to make your trees thrive or your garden thrive for that matter. So the solution to that is also simple. Another rule you want to, when you plant your trees, you want to use 60% organic matter. We're working with tanks, green stuff down in Tucson, and they've made farmer Greg's uh, planting mix. And Sounds like we're going to cover this after the break.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Farmer Greg's Planting Mix from Tanks Green Stuff out of Tucson. I can't wait to hear more. That's a great company. Yeah, I'm very happy with them. Good, good, good group of people. Welcome to the farm.
1: Yeah.
0: Hey, that sounds good. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling a little bit. Get everybody up. Up and going. There's always so much energy and excitement when we have the Urban Farmer in you... Well, thank you. You come with your A-game every time. (laughs)
1: Well, it's so much fun. I'm doing what I love, you know? Sharing with people and feeding people and inspiring people. Here's what I do. I hold up this whole notion of you can grow your own food kind of in my hand like this. And I say, you know what? This is so simple. You can do it too.
0: (laughs) And it just lights people up. And a visionary from back, your goal years ago was to inspire enough people to grow that Phoenix wouldn't be so subjective to the whims of our food system, let's call it. Yeah, actually my goal,
1: I'm 56 years old now, and my goal between now and when I die is to create Phoenix into a food secure space where we're actually growing most of our own food. I don't know if I'll ever
0: make it there, but what the heck? I mean, you know, it gets me up in the morning. You got to right? gotta have a... Aim high. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> got to have a big goal. There you go. So, real quick, before we get back to what goes in the soil, a couple questions. You had mentioned not drip, and that for years, and when I started to break into the trades, that everything was going drip. Everything yeah. was going drip. It was the zero escaping the water conscience. So, if we're not doing drip on our fruit trees, what... So systems, here, are we? Using? Yeah. Here's the thing about drip. Generally, it's
1: one emitter that puts out a gallon per hour. So we're looking for other solutions in the drip arena. And I actually have a friend of mine planted uh, 2200 coffee plants in San Diego in an orchard. And so they're raising coffee there. And he showed me this new contraption. It is drip tape with drip emitters built into it, but it's a lot of them. So really, if you have drip irrigation, what we need to do is we need to add many more emitters so that you can put a whole lot of water on your tree all at once. Your tree doesn't need a half hour's worth of water three times a week. It needs four hours' worth of water Once every two weeks during the warm season, especially if you put the six six rule in place and put six inches of woody mulch and a six foot basin around your tree, that's going to absorb and hold the water. But we need to deep water our trees, and dr- single drip emitters don't do that. So if you are on drip, you can come down to the nursery today and see me, and I'll have some of those available. I'll show them to you, uh, and you know we can talk through it. So that's one way. The other way is if you're on flood water. You know there's thirty thousand acres or so of flood irrigated water uh, land here in Phoenix, Arizona. I happen to be on one of them. If you have a flood irrigated yard, you, you know the watering's perfect for it. Uh, Then the other thing is, is you actually put a bubbler in your basin around your tree so that it's a regular sprinkler system, but rather than spray sprinklers on there, you have a bubbler. So you let the bubbler go off once every two weeks and fill the basin. So those are the three ways that are really most efficient.
0: And we had another text question. We're not going to answer, but they want to know what your varieties of peach trees were, but uh, for your progressive gardening Uh or progressive pruning is what...
1: uh, Progressive ripening. Progressive
0: ripening. Yeah. That's what the podcast page is for. You can go there, check it. It'll be in writing. You can have links. Oh, fantastic. uh, We've got so many talking points. We've got to keep this moving so we get all of our our great content. Yeah, I write a book every time I come here. I
1: know. I know. Uh, So what to put in the hole. 60% organics. I got that. 60% organic matter. You can get uh, Farmer Greg's planting mix uh, down at our nursery. Uh, The other things you want to mix in the wheelbarrow. Besides the 40% native soil and 60% organic matter, is an ounce of mycorrhiza. Mycorrhiza brings life, it's the fungal mix to your space, and we're actually adding some. So it's called mycorrhiza and azimite. Azomite is a rock dust mineral. It brings 70 different kinds of minerals that are bioavailable for the plants to take up into the space. And so you're mixing a pound of that in the wheelbarrow and then a pound of gardener's gold or what we also like to call worm castings. Um, so you mix all of that in the wheelbarrow and plant your tree on a hill in the middle of your basin. So remember, you're, you're making a six-foot basin around it. You dig a 18-inch wide and about 16-inch deep hole in the middle. You plant your tree in the middle with all that soil you just mixed in the wheelbarrow and then add your six inches of woody mulch, water as directed in my manifesto that we hand out to everybody that buys fruit
0: trees, and you're good to go. And that 16 inches, if you are planting... Something that's come from, you know, you can either get it uh, bare root yes. or plant it pot in a it. pot. Exactly. If it's a, a lot of those pots aren't 16 inches deep. You don't want to plant your tree lower than the ground level. Correct. So you may you may not need to go 16 inches
1: deep. Re- well, I always like to go a little deeper to loosen up the soil so the roots can go deep. Cause, back backfill you know, it so it's sitting and up. And backfill it, exactly. Exactly. I tell people to sit it up
0: on a mound in the middle of... Uh, you know, in the middle of your planting area and tamp uh, down the backfill you Yeah, give it a good pat. So the tree doesn't sink as exactly. it settles. You
1: don't want the tree settled. Here's the other really important thing. Again, covered in my manifest manifesto that we hand out. Uh, and that is planting depth. You, if you plant the, uh, the graft point below the ground level, you're going to kill the tree. So anybody that's interested in that, I'll, come on down to the nursery today and I'll show it to you. So that's the, that's my rules around planting your trees. Six foot, six foot of woody mulch in a basin or six inches deep and 60% planting mix, 40% native
0: soil, mycorrhiza, azimite and worm castings. And does all that come? Is that what's in Greg's? So um, planting mix, planting mix. It is not okay, but there's great stuff in Greg's planting mix. We've that's, got that's that's 60% organic, exactly. and then you add the mycorrhizum, azimite, and organ castings to that.
1: Right, and we have all
0: that for you. Gotcha.
1: When you come down uh, and get your trees, and come down and talk to us, we have all that for
0: you. But that's not something you would want to mix into the Greg's. You mean it's something that I would want to mix into the Greg's mix? No, that makes it that
1: would make it a little too pricey.
0: Yeah. Well, and would it, well, never mind, we'll keep going. (laughs) So the Greg's mix comes and then you've got the other things to add to it. Exactly. So what to plant next? What to plant and why? Yeah, exactly. So-
1: You know, I get all kinds of questions like, oh my gosh, can I get an avocado? Mm, You can. I haven't, it's not Greg proven yet. So I have a a Greg proven guarantee that I give with my trees. And that's if it comes with the Greg approved label, it means that I have planted and eaten off of these trees, which is really important. And we're going to get to the three things here in a little while in the next segment about that. Uh, But So they're Greg-approved. So avocados, we're still experimenting with them. Everybody wants to grow an avocado. I want to grow an avocado. They're very susceptible to the heat. The heat will just, you know, do them in. So avocados we stay away from. But what can we really grow? Did you know that we can grow apples here? Anna. Anna and Dorset Golden. Exactly. Those are the two most incredible apples here, Anna and Dorset Golden. Apricots, Katie and Goldkissed. Amazing apricots. Uh, peaches. There's about a dozen different peaches. My three favorite were the gold-kissed, uh, the no, that's the apricot, sorry. The desert gold, the tropic snow, and the mid-pride. Uh, then there's plums. There's a bunch of different plums you can grow here. Uh, berries do really well here. Uh, you know, like caning berries, if you give them afternoon shade. Again, with the ba- the 6-6 basin around them. And grapes. Grapes will do really great. The thing about grapes is, is that they don't get really big. You know, a a large grape is the size of a small marble here. So you just have to know that going in. If you're going to grow grapes, uh, the heat really gets to them. Don't so expect. Don't expect table grapes that are, you know, the size of a you know a huge marble. Um, and, and one of my new favorites in the past few years is the Pakistani mulberry. Now, I get this a lot. People say, oh, my gosh, we can't plant mulberries here in the desert. Well, you can if they're female. And interestingly enough, it makes fruit whether there's a male around or not. And the Pakistani mulberry is a large tree, and it puts off mulberries that are two to three inches long and absolutely amazing tasting. In fact, most of the mulberries that come off of our tree at the Urban Farm never make it into the house.
0: <laughs> Just our purple
1: lips make it into the house, right? <laughs> so those are those are some of my favorites. We're going to talk citrus next
0: month. Uh, But those are some of my favorites. You got to supply that nutrient, you know, resupply your body while you're out there working. Exactly. (laughs) Berries keep you going. (laughs) Exactly. And then I have a list of no-goes. No-goes. Absolutely no-goes. So cherries are on
1: the list of no-goes. They come on the wrong rootstock. The rootstocks haven't been proven here. We're going to talk about that in a little while. And there's no such thing as low-chill cherries. Two issues. Now, could there be an anomaly for cherries? Or nectarines or pears? Yes. Those are the other two that I say absolutely no on. Nectarines are a no go. They're highly susceptible to something called a thrip. It's a bug that comes out of the soil and it makes these gnarly little fruits. Just plant a peach. The thrips don't bother the peaches. And then pears. Pears get knocked out over and over and over again with something called fire blight. It looks like somebody mm. took a torch to the peach or the pear tree and just torched it, uh, and they don't produce all that
0: well. I had that a co- on a couple of my Anna apples when they were first planted, oh, very yeah. young.
1: Yeah, and the, the nice thing about apples is they're fairly resistant to that. The peaches, or the, sorry, the, the pears pear are not. get them. Yeah, it's going to take out the pears. So, you know, buy those in the grocery store, uh, you know, if you really want them. just I've tried many varieties. In fact, part of my project... Is every year I try new trees in fact this year we've got a new peach that we're trying and we've got a new cherry that we're trying a pit cherry so I'm always trying it but here's the thing with the trees that you get from me I've experimented I know what works and this is why we're bringing in what we're bringing in
0: now a lot of these trees that are coming in they're coming in from Dave Wilson's nursery Dave Wilson nursery and Ellie cook great propagators they've yes uh, Spent um each one of those has hundreds of years of experience on staff that do everything we're talking about here. They're constantly oh, yeah. experimenting, testing, grafting, yeah. propagating. They are just as passionate about Oh yeah. Now, if I, I think if I looked back, it's been a while since I've checked my my urban orchard map mm-hmm. and I've got, you know, the little tag that comes on it. I know what nursery it came from. I know what Oh nice. Um what what local nursery I bought it from and then what nursery grafted it. And ah, I, 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 they, over half of them are Dave Wilson. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, they've been doing it a very long time. I went and visited them, I'm going to say about three years ago, for their fruit tasting. It was uh, in, I think, in August or something, like three years ago. And they have 3,500 acres and over 20 million fruit trees in their landscape. It was mind-boggling to stand back and watch the fields and fields and fields of, you know, thousands of different kinds of trees. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: That sounds like a trip. And you mentioned Ellie Locke and- Ellie Cook. Ellie Cook. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's where my pecans came from. And yes. They say seven to 10 years on pecans. I'm in year four. Now, I didn't get a lot, Mm-hmm. but last year I got one. Oh, nice. This year- Probably 30. Oh, very that's how they happen. That's how they happen. I, in fact, that's
1: a great question. I get this question a lot. How long before I get fruit? And I tell people three years. Could it be sooner than three years? Yes, but it can also be three years or a little bit longer. So if I tell people it's going to take, you know two years and they don't get fruit, they're going to be mad at me. So I, I always go a little bit longer. Usually what happens is is in year two, you'll get one or two.
0: Gives you enough to hold on for next year.
1: Exactly. It's in it's year three, happen. you'll get maybe 20 or 30. And this is on the apples, the peaches, the plums, uh, even the citrus. And in year four, you're going to get more like, you know, 40 or 50 or 75 or 100. And, and it kind of goes like that.
0: And from there, you're into produce you can't keep up with. This is when you find <laughs> out uh, you had neighbors that were your best friends you never knew about. Exactly. <laughs> People at the office can't wait for you to come in in the morning. Right. Romy's excited when I arrive with a bag of citrus. Never, never complain about that. What, what was that uh, pink one again? That uh, Kara uh, Kara navel. It's Cara. one of my favorites. That's a, that's a good one. All right. Just girls down on the bar. For those of you that got your Rosie on the house home maintenance calendar. If you look in January, you can see deciduous trees keyword. Mm -hmm. You search that keyword on Rosie on the House. It'll bring you to today's page with all these details that we've talked about. It'll be have a transcription of the broadcast, mentioning the varieties of peaches, the details on the 6-6 rule, the guidelines on chopping it, and the three things not to do. And now The three things to do to do.
1: Yes, exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, you can go into most nurseries and big box stores here in town and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit, which just infuriates me. In fact, I was recently at a big box store and, you know, there are literally hundreds of different kinds of peaches, right?
0: I do now. Yeah. Okay. There you go.
1: There <laughs> I, th- I knew four from earlier. <laughs> uh, there you go. The, literally, there are hundreds of different varieties of peaches that grow all, you know, in basically all climates. I was at a big box store recently and I walked up to a peach tree and the tag on it said peach. That's it. There was no variety, there was no nothing else, there was no chill hours, there was no rootstock, there was nothing. It just said peach. I can virtually guarantee you, given that only about a dozen peaches produce reliably here, I can virtually guarantee you that that particular peach tree will never make peaches here. And this is the one of the big reasons why. There's something called chill hours in deciduous fruit tree land, let's call it that, and chill hours are anything under about 39 degrees. And generally speaking, we get between three and 400 hours of chill. We probably won't get 400 hours of chill this year. But we get that number of hours of chill. And it doesn't have to be, you know, all night and every day. It's just over the course of the, the dormant season on the trees, you need to accumulate that many hours of chill in order for it to set fruit. This is called chill and we're looking for low chill trees. All of the trees that we bring in in our program and we educate people about are low chill trees. So if you're getting trees from me, you can count on that you're not gonna have a problem with this. So That's not thing number one that you need to know. Thing number two that you need to know is about the rootstocks. This is a little bit more complicated and you're gonna have to do a little bit more research. You know, With these uh, smartphones these days, if you're standing at a nursery and there's a rootstock tag on the tree it doesn't always come that way but if there is you can look up the rootstock to see if it works here in the desert but for deciduous stone fruit there's only a few rootstocks that work so we have to be very you know very selective about the rootstocks for all of our trees you want to make sure that they're ones that are viable in the desert once again in our program All of our fruit trees are on the correct rootstocks that will grow well in the desert. And while we're on rootstocks, fruit trees are grafted. Basically, what that means is they take uh, the roots of a tree and they take the fruiting or scion bud of a tree and they put them together. They graft them together so that all of the... Anna apples. Let's say every Anna apple is the same genetic mix as the last one and the ones in the future. That's how they know that it's an Anna apple for sure. Because growing from seeds, you don't know. You don't always know what you're going to get. And then the third piece that's very very important, and that is that for soft flesh fruits, most mostly the deciduous trees, you need to get the fruit harvested and off of the tree. It needs to be ripened off of the tree by about July 10th. Otherwise, it just cooks. So if you're planting an August pride peach, you're never going to get any viable fruit because it's just cooking on the tree. So those are the three big things you want to pay attention to. Again, we cover that in all of our trees uh, that we bring in. We make sure that they're low chill. We make sure they're on the right rootstock and we make sure that they ripen at the right time.
0: And people can come out to the pop-up nursery. Pop what up time nursery. is that open today?
1: It's open today from nine until three and will be open every Friday and Saturday between now and the end of February from nine until three. Uh, and you know, when they when you come looking for it, it's a it's kind of an interesting space. It's a friend of mine's old warehouse. It's on the corner of Meadowbrook and 7th Street. It's a white warehouse unless you know what you're looking for, you might miss it, but we have signs up and it's this small, maybe 1500 square foot storage yard. And we turn it into this nursery. So when you walk on, we have our bagged products, my farmer, Greg's planting mix and your compost and all that kind of stuff that's on the left. And then if you look straight and further to the left, we have all of these fruit trees, deciduous trees healed in. And basically what that means is, is that they're, We have compost piled around our roots so that when you come and pick up your trees from us, we're actually going to bare root them. We're going to pull them out of that compost, put them in a bag, and you're going to take them home with you. And you'll need to come prepared to go home and plant these trees because bare root trees, you want to get them in the ground as soon as possible. Now, I say this is the best way to do trees because basically we have all of these trees. They're dormant. Dave Wilson shipped them to us and While they're dormant, so you're taking them home and planting them in the ground while they're dormant, so they break dormancy where they're going to spend the rest of their life. And that's at the pop-up nursery the Pop-up nursery. Now
0: nine o'clock. You're not going to quite get there Uh, in time, uh, uh, but I assume you got your team there. (laughs) I have a
1: great team. There's about fifteen of us there today, and we just have fun. It's like Christmas when you come on the lot. It's just like Christmas. So that's forty-five forty-nine North Seventh Street in Phoenix
0: and i'm sure i could find that on the urbanfarm.org yep absolutely so you can find times there if you can't make it out today uh, or if you don't if you want to do this but you don't have a plan go by and make a plan look at what's available yep. check the varieties check your garden space take a couple pictures have uh, be prepared to ask some questions and put a plan together yeah
1: come down and see me i'll chat with you all you want
0: mr greg peterson the urban farmer thanks for your time this saturday morning Woo!